0: Hey, the Nerdist Comics panel is coming to C2E2. Will you be there? Will you be there on Sunday, April 26th? Will you be there Sunday, April 26th from 1.15 to 2.15 p.m.? Then come join me and Heath Corson and Mark Wade and some other special surprise guests in room S403 at C2E2 uh, where we're going to have a live Nerdist Comics panel. It should be a lot of fun. Um, we, I will be there with the thrilling adventure hour, which is doing all kinds of things all weekend, uh, including live shows, improv shows, a, uh, adaptation of the Sparks Nevada comic, which is from image, which is available right now. Uh, so stop by our booth or, uh, just come to the stuff and come see us and, you know, get things signed and take pictures and whatever, but come see the shows. They're going to be great. Go to thrillingadventurehour.com and click on get tickets on tour for more information. Hope to see you in Chicago next week.
1: Now entering nerdist.com. News flash! News flash coming from the curtain here from the thrilling adventure hour, it's me, Todd Cooper. I have things to tell you. Thrilling adventure hour, storm Chicago once again. They already did it once, and now they're coming back April 24th through 26th for C2E2. That sounds like a weird Star Wars creature, but it isn't. Find the Work use players and special guests on the show floor in Booth 993. That's 993. All weekend long for signings, appearances, and merch. You love that merch. C2E2 attendees will also be treated to a special screening of the Thrilling Adventure Hour concert film. <laughs> On Friday, four twenty four. That's April twenty fourth, if you don't speak numbers. That's gonna be followed by a talk back with the Work Juice players. But even if you're not attending C two E two, be sure to grab tickets for three different live performances, all at first ward at the Chop Shop in Wicker Park. Here's some things you can look forward to there. Friday, four twenty-four, April twenty-fourth. The thrilling adventure hour presents the Work Juice Improv Experience. Join the Work Juice players and special guests, Scott Adsit, Timothy Amundsen, and and John Ross Bowie for a night of improv as they create an entire show on the spot. That's what improv is. Curtain is at 10 p.m. Oh, that curtain. Saturday, 425, April 25th. The Thrilling Adventure Hour presents POW! Sparks Nevada Live. Join Mark Evan Jackson, Mark Agliardi, and members of the Work Juice Players and special guests for a first-time-ever live show based on the first four issues of the new Sparks Nevada Image comic. Shows are at 8 o'clock and 10 o'clock. PM. Come on, don't get up early for a show, dummy. And different scripts for each. That means you can see two different shows. Visit thrillingadventurehour.com for tickets and for detailed appearance info. What are you, a hashtag guy? You can do that on Twitter or wherever you like. Use hashtag T-A-H-C-2-E-2. Crikey. That's what I'd be saying to you if I was Australian or New Zealand. But I'm not. I'm here to let you know about a little trip that's coming up. The Thrilling Adventure Hour is heading down under... Where? Down under. Australia and New Zealand, just like I just said, in May in 2015 for the first international tour ever. Yeah, you heard me right. International tour, everybody. There are five, that's five of the number, not five of someone's name that you know, maybe, live thrilling adventure hour shows in Auckland and Wellington, New Zealand, and Sydney, Australia. We've even added two special Work Juice improv shows in Auckland. That's extra if you're in Auckland. The cast includes almost all the work choose players, including, of course, Padgett Brewster, Paul F. Tompkins, Mark Evan Jackson, Autumn Reeser, as just a few of those. Also, uh, the creators, Ben Acker and Ben Blacker are going to be there. Andy Paley and members of the Andy Paley Orchestra and special guests, Molly Quinn and Jenny Wade. Woo. Are you in Australia or New Zealand? Are you not there, but you would go to there? Do you like it there? Where do you where do you like to be? If you want to go to Down Under, well, just go to thrillingadventurehour.com slash Down Under. If you want to talk about it on Twitter or other places that you talk about things with a hashtag, use the hashtag T-A-H Down Under. That's it for me. Now here's the show. Audio curtains up. It's the Nerdist Writer's Panel,
2: and it's hosted by Ben Blacker, where he gets a bunch of writers, and
1: he asks them lots of questions, and it's starting now, so this will be the end of the
0: theme. Um, My name is Ben Blacker. I created it. I'm a TV writer. And I created it because it didn't exist. And I was mad because I wanted to hear writers of television that I love talking about how they make television I love. Um, So we are now nearing 200 episodes. Uh, It comes out weekly on the Nerdist Network. You can find it on iTunes. We have had every writer from every television series that you love. I am am a television writer. I'm also the co-creator of the Thrilling Adventure Hour, which is... Wow, which... I'm so used to saying, in the present tense, but up until this past weekend was a monthly stage show here at Largo, it is now just a podcast. We, we ended our 10-year run this past weekend. I am right now working on a television program called Puss in Boots, which is a uh, Netflix DreamWorks series. It's a spin-off from Shrek. Are you all tremendous fans of Better Call Saul? Yeah. Yeah. Me too. Please welcome the co creator of Better Call Saul, Peter Gould.
3: Yeah,
4: it's
0: intimidating, right? Welcome. Wow, it's a, it's amazing to be here Thank you for being here uh, And thank you for this show uh, You know, you heard their response And it, I think it's what we all feel We love this show Which, as of today, we found out is a record-setting show Is that right? You tell me <laughs> That's what I'm told. What's the record? That's what I'm told. What's the record? For uh, a new series uh, of viewers. New series on basic cable? Something like that. Okay, that sounds (laughs) good. New series (laughs) on basic cable, Monday night, (laughs) after nine o'clock... That's pretty good. No, people are watching the show. Um, you have to be very pleased. I, well, yeah, of course. You know, it was <laughs>
4: terrifying to, to premiere the show, and the fact that people like it is is, is, is great. I mean, I'm, I couldn't be happier with the, the reception, yeah.
0: I do want to ask about that. the expectation uh, around it, uh, I was looking back at some of the. I've talked to the you and Vince and the Better Call uh, the uh, Breaking Bad Breaking writers Bad, yeah. over the years. That was a great podcast. Thank you. You're an excellent interview. <laughs> You'll know when I start doing it tonight. Oh, <laughs> um, but I was listening to. I did a a one of the very first one on one interviews I did was with Vince, and this was in 2012, wow. and the question came up of what's next, and he said, well. Peter and I have been kind of toying with this idea about some kind of Saul spin off saul yeah. goodman spinoff you yeah. know it could be a half hour, could be an hour yeah so th- this was three years ago yeah. uh, what were there serious conversations going on then you know you know we were under fire
4: in, in, uh, on uh, breaking bad, you know it was just, mm-hmm. just breaking bad was. Plenty complicated and difficult enough to, to occupy both of us, and and you know, of course, Vince running it in every detail as as, as he does. Um, so it was more of a like an extended joke that morphed <laughs> into an actual an actual show. And, and Vince would always he would say this, and 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 it was it was a writers' room joke that uh, you know if we can't do this here we'll do it on the, on the Saul Goodman show eventually and i didn't i took it seriously but not that seriously sure. because for the simple reason that seemed too good to be true, uh, and in my experience in show business, before Breaking Bad, nothing good ever happened. And you know, <laughs> so uh, I, I I looked at everything with a little bit of a cynical eye. And uh, you know, sure, Saul so Goodman show, and 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 mm-hmm. and it'll all line up. And, and God damn it, it did. It actually happened. And I feel sometimes I feel like I'm, you know, I'm that my that I'm on a, a stretcher. And I've been in a a car accident on my way to a job interview with with Vince Gilligan and Melissa Bernstein in uh, whatever that was, 2006. Yeah. Well, it's going to be the same elsewhere. Ending for you. That's (laughs) exactly. That's exactly. And you know, somebody's just got us. Yes, exactly. How did Uh, you know that was going to be the ending of Better Call Saul? Spoilers.
0: Uh, Oh, oh, you guys. Oh, I should have said at the beginning. If you are not caught up on the show, too bad. Because we are going to get into it. You should it. just go home and watch it. Yeah, go home and this watch is, it. It's this will be much more entertaining little, than this, I can guarantee you. Come on. Untrue. Uh, they all follow Schnauz on Twitter. They know how entertaining oh, it's going to
4: He'll be here. He's brought his taint.
0: Loosen <laughs> <laughs> him up a little bit. Yeah, yeah there you go. Um, so so when did the conversation start to become real? Uh, how, how close towards the end? Because you guys did sort of... Pick up right after the end of Breaking Bad and start we working did, on It this.
4: seemed like it, but it was—it was really, uh, you know, we. It's a very strange position to be in as a writer to have. Uh, companies that are interested in what you're yes. going to do next. Uh, usually, usually you get it's, a chance. It's uncomfortable when they're interested in what you're doing presently. Yes, yeah, so that's true. But you know, these usually, usually, the, you know, this situ- You kind of work on things in private, and, and you you know, pitch them to each other. You pitch them to friends. You write a bunch of stuff, and then you go in and you make a big presentation, and then you, oh my gosh, I hope they're going to like it. And this was a different. This was a different situation because uh there was this all this love from breaking bad season, especially season five people really liked it and, and it turned and you know and to give credit to sony and to amc they stuck with that show mm-hmm. when it was really very a very marginal proposition yeah. as far as i understand it so they they were they were noticing that suddenly people were watching and it was going to end, and so they were very interested. You know, so was, tell us about this Saul Goodman show. And Vince and I, at that point, I was writing other stuff and also working on the, my last couple episodes of Breaking Bad in post. And uh, the way the way we work, the showrunner or showrunners, you know, work on every episode of post right. in post, and the individual writer producers work on their own. So I would be in and out. And but then Vince and I started to take walks around the back alleys of. Uh, of a uh, Burbank uh, <laughs> around you know we we our old offices were in the ugliest building in Burbank they're in the is, middle of nowhere they really they really are it, it's really it, it, there were other I, who, showrunners who will go nameless who showed up to meet Vince and you would the door would open and you'd see their faces fall. <laughs> uh, there were people who were about to start shows. And again, they'll remain nameless. They're about to start shows, and they would open up the door, and it was, I don't know, it was like they opened up the door to, to like, the sewer. It was just, it was, it was, it was, it was just, it was, and they yeah. would, they would be very upset, and then they would talk to Vince, and then they would go open offices in Santa Monica and go for one season. Uh, so, it's, it's, it, 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 so, I mean, this is part of my theory that we're violating because our offices now are, are nicer. But my part of my theory is that the the um, the army that has the better uniform always loses. That's right. And if you if you <laughs> if you make things too lavish and comfortable, uh, you, you become one of the lotus eaters and and you you stop doing good work. So it's, it's you need a little bit. A little bit of that, that writerly riderly anxiety. I th- I, and, and I, knowing some of you, I think you have that mentally anyway. You think, so? you think so? Good. All right. I don't know where we're so anyway. We were walking around, and we go we go have a, a beer occasionally, and just walk through the streets of Burbank and talk about what the show could be. And our first pitch, they, our first pitch was actually a a half hour, and I, I was anxious about it, but I was thinking, well, it could work. And it's you know we were talking about this half hour. Single camera, because our our feeling was that it, that would be a um, the comparison we'd make is Doctor Katz mm-hmm. is that you know you have a character and crazy people come into this character's life and he works on their problems and just succeeds or doesn't and then then it's over in half an hour and. Then I felt very dissatisfied with that for a lot of reasons, and I I think Vince did too, and we started talking more about the character and what would make him or not a dramatic character, because we loved Saul, and we loved working with Bob, and we loved writing him because he 's just a fun character to write and, and you know the way he talks and the way he thinks mm-hmm. and the little reverses he takes those are all really fun to write time consuming but fun and uh, but what kind of show would be around that guy because he seems relatively happy with himself mm-hmm. and so where's where 's the drama if he doesn 't have and maybe this is just, the shows the limitation, my limitations. Because if, if you think of a main character who seems like they, they're pretty happy, then the problems have to come from somebody else, in which case, why is this your main character? Uh, well, I think
0: this was the big I question that... could be procedural. That, it could yeah. be, but yeah. I think this was the big question that people had going into the show, was, you know, I think Vince presented publicly Breaking Bad mm-hmm. as saying, this is about a man going from A to B. Yeah. And when we're presented with Saul... We don't intrinsically know what that's going to be. So even in the pilot, discovering that it's about this journey is very interesting. That, so, so that started to take place after you guys kind of rejected this half-hour format. And it might be, you know, because you know it's tricky because I don't really
4: feel like we copied anything from Breaking Bad. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just that we really it, it felt like we were inventing something completely new. Sure. But if you back up. I can see that there's a there's a there's a view of this which says, oh well, this is about a character changing also, and so I think that's the similarity. As, yeah, a well, as any but good serialized story is But going we to didn't be. we didn't really know that, and um, hmm. we didn't we didn't know that completely. And then we we decided to do an hour, and we we pit, we had a pitch to um, to our network and and to uh, to the studio, and they they liked it enough. They said, okay, go ahead, and the pitch was. Quite different from what we've been, what oh, really? we're doing right now. It's Houseman. quite different because he was further along towards being Saul Goodman. Okay. Uh, he, he, it wasn't. Even though there was a lot of backstory in the pitch, uh, the focus of it was really on on uh, Saul and Mike, and uh, you know, and, and and more about it was more ex, a little bit more external. And what happened was that we, at that point, we were lucky enough to assemble this incredible writer's room. Uh, you know, th- 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 you're, you're gonna meet a bunch of them here. Um, and you know we were lucky enough to get um, uh, uh, Tom and Jenny and, and, and Gordon and, and, uh, and Bradley, uh, who's not here tonight, and we started talking more about the guy, the, the character. And we never, it's interesting, because we never sat down and said, okay, it's gonna be this much comedy and this much drama, or this is the format. It was all about the character, and so we we started talking more and more about. Um, and there was a question we used to ask ourselves: uh, What problem does becoming Saul Goodman solve? Hmm. And we went back. That's a really hard question, and it's not one that we've not one that we've solved to our satisfaction. We're still. Well, we're, you get to discover that. Well, now. so far we know how we, you get a pinky ring. That's that's, that's, <laughs> that's about as far. That's as far. That's as far as we've gotten. Right. But uh, he's a. He's a, he, it turns out that there's a lot more to him. And the more we talked about it, the deeper we got. And there were some, you know, these guys added a, a, so many ideas. And, uh, and, and what we found was that the essence of him to us was some kind of uh, bounciness, a resiliency. There's a resiliency about this character that I think is, is that's one of the things that's at his core. And we kept on going back in time and trying to figure out where did this start and who was he? And we came up with a, really a whole life story. And some of it ends up on the show and some of it changed a lot. But then once we had that life story, some of it, we said, well, where do we start? And I was so happy that we started in the, uh, the nail salon years. Uh, and it, just, it, just, it just felt like the right thing to start with him at the moment. You know, he's been a lawyer for about two years, and he's uh, he's struggling like hell because I think one of our challenges was to take a character who I think people thought of as so duplicitous <laughs> and so self centered and so out for himself, and to try to say, wait a minute, there's another side to him, and to, to make him really an underdog yeah. as much as we possibly could. So that was that was the the evolution that evolution of, and then we had to
0: figure out. Yeah, where do we go from here? Well, and that's and that's where you brought in the writers. So that's that's where we should bring in the writers. Let's bring in the writers. Yeah, <laughs> please give a round of applause to Tom Schnauz, Jenny Hutchison, and Gordon Smith. Hey. Welcome. And look, they all,
4: have, they, they all have stage presence,
0: which is, which is, really, which is really what we look for. We, we, well, you and I needed it. Yes, God knows. Welcome, you guys. Um, let's jump right in and tell us about being in. Enlist- you know what I, I would like to hear, first hear about is you didn't go right. All of you were uh, worked on Breaking Bad. Uh, Gordon, you were an assistant on it, correct? Yep. Uh, so this was your, your big bump up to it the was, staff. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but I'd like to hear about You didn't go right from Breaking Bad to Saul Can you tell us about
2: the year in between Or the season in between? I did actually I was Vince's well, <laughs> assistant Up to the day that we started the. I was like, we, we started December of 2013 And I was acting as his assistant And sort of handing the reins over to Jen Carroll uh, up to Thanksgiving that year, and then came back and went into the room. So there was no between. For yes, me, you but. got no in between. Yes. But you also worked
0: on some of those strange Breaking Bad tertiary.
2: I did. Yes. Projects. Do you, yeah. Can you talk about those for just a quick? Uh, oh God, like story sync, the sort of second screen experience. I I wrote for those. Um, we did comic books. You loved, loved it. <laughs> I loved it as much as all of you enjoy doing it. Uh, so. Uh, just basically anything that came through that that we needed to sort of put our stamp of approval on. Uh, that, that had text. Uh, there was an iBook. There was just just anything like that because we, you know, Vince really wanted to make sure that anything that we put out with our name on it hey, seemed good. Were good. Oh, thank you. <laughs> oh, here's that's that's the thing, good. You guys.
0: Uh, only the people with the microphones will be talking. <laughs> Um, and and it's, look, it's not me It's only because we record it for podcast If it were up to me, you could all talk <laughs> uh, Jenny, where were you right after Breaking Bad? Uh,
3: I went directly to a show called The Strain for FX Which is Guillermo del Toro's yeah, vampire show sure. uh, uh, With Carlton Hughes running mm-hmm. And so I did that in the off time And pretty much jumped right from that right. onto Salt
0: yeah, you guys didn't have a lot of time, and Tom, you wound up on uh, a staff as well, right? I don't remember anything that happened between <laughs> Britain, Bad and Saul. Honestly, <laughs> well, I here-
5: think I worked on—I uh, did some episodes for. Um, the Man on the High Castle, which is not out yet And they're still working on the scripts So they oh, shot cool. the pilot episode And then I did episodes 3 and 4 Which oh, are still to come
0: The The question I really have And I've talked to, especially recently Writers from sort of big or influential shows uh, And about how when they Had to go out and work on other shows They sort of got the bends mm-hmm. uh, And you know, the Breaking Bad Room worked in a very specific way And it felt, it felt, at least to me Having spoken to you guys To be a sort of democratic room You know, you had a clear guidance With Vince as the showrunner But everybody had a voice And I think everyone was invited to push on Story or push on character And kind of make sure it all holds up And everyone likes where it's going I think if one person had a problem in the room, we didn't move on until
5: yeah. we sort of settled that. And that's unusual Yeah, in and TV sometimes works. it was, uh, you know, 12 Angry Men. The, the, one, <laughs> the one person would hold out and we would all suddenly realize, wait a minute, we're wrong and that person's right. <laughs> so it was a good process. Yeah. And we luckily always had a lot of time to do that because on other TV shows... You That's need true. to be shooting right away. We're, we're extremely lazy. and can, to, uh, luckily with Vince and now with Peter, we get to spend a lot of time just talking and talking and talking about episodes before we commit.
0: Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, so tell me,
2: uh,
0: when you guys arrived at the Saul room, what, what was known already? What did had Peter and Vince already mapped out? And, and you know, what did you guys have to play with?
3: uh we had a backstory that peter and vince had kind of worked on for jimmy which included chuck and oh, that yeah. was and and a little bit of hamlin hamlin and mcgill i believe and that was kind of it that was really it was really a clean slate when we came in um and it was very much like let's build this show together let's figure this guy out uh so we had a lot of freedom actually on day one i would say That's
0: great. So, so what I want to ask about Chuck first because this is a fascinating character, Um, not a character we've seen on television before. Which I feel like is something you guys do so well—is giving us characters that are new to us. Um, Where did Chuck come from? When did you guys realize there has to be someone like this in Jimmy's life? During your long walks with Vince? Yeah.
4: Was it? I mean, was it that? No, it was. I I I think that. uh... We were trying to figure out who the, I mean, it's, it's, it, we were trying to figure out what, who the, who he cares about,
6: mm-hmm.
4: you know, what's, who's important to him, who's in his life, who's, who's his family, what family does he have left? And that it was just the idea that, of um, Chuck as being uh, a shut in. And I, I, our thinking didn't go, I think before, when these guys came in, I don't even know if we had, The electricity part Of it quite yet No we didn't We we
3: had the idea That he was a shut-in But we didn't know why We'd sort of been A little bit influenced By Crumb The documentary And and Mm -hmm. sort of His relationship With his brothers And and then I I can't remember Who came up With the electricity thing But it, it felt Like a great idea And then it was like Ah, oh, crap like that's a lot of work because every time we yeah. pitch something it'd be like how does he get up on the phone and call someone how yes. does he you know <laughs> yes. so sure. it was a great idea and then it was a then, challenging in, in one. production
4: in production how do you light a set where there are no no lights yeah. except for those lanterns and then or a, a, a hospital room that has where the lights are turned off it it it, it uh he's a he's a pain in the
0: butt <laughs> no not not really um i'm curious to hear about some of these other ideas that sort of got latched onto early on? What is stuff that maybe we've seen in the first season? Or what is stuff that you guys got excited about, excited about that, that didn't make it? What were some wrong roads that you went down
5: as a group? Very early on, he was a straight-out ambulance chaser. I mean, we had him actually following an ambulance and crashing into it at one point at a hospital
4: but we went we ended up going away from he that. had a, he had a radar o'reilly moment That's right where he was he was he, just like the helicopters he every was, time there was a siren he was in a parking lot he was the and first, he first to suddenly hear it. suddenly hears something and he's, he hops into his car and then yes it, it, and he uh, he chases chases the person how it. does that jibe with the jimmy we know Well we didn't know that Jimmy at that point (laughs) No and and that actually that We were thinking Saul Goodman That was essentially carded That was essentially carded And actually in the first episode For for quite a while That was uh, We had You know we had Part of the The challenge Is to be to really look critically at what you've got and to not just because something is carded or you've talked through it not go with it uh, we had to and, and i think the main reason that got cut was because we decided that mike would be in that booth and we wanted to see mike and so basically the the ambulance chasing oh and there was something else to that great thing that i don't want to talk about because we may do it uh there, there was there was uh, he has let's put it this way jimmy the Jimmy McGill you meet has many ways to cut corners around every meal, and uh, so he has he has he has some some great corners to cut, and we'll see if he if he, he may get he He's may talked get, about collecting ice from hotels, which was another
5: thing oh, that's that was a, that's right. in that's an true. episode, but we cut it. That's uh, true But we that's decided true. that he was still That's where he was getting his ice That's from. right
4: We actually had him We had him get chased out of hotels While he was putting in ice and garbage
0: bags Yes uh, So it was having all of the writers there That it started to become Jimmy's story Rather than Saul's story And I, I'm sure there wasn't a lightning bolt moment But do you guys remember how that conversation started to happen?
3: I don't remember the conversation But I, I do remember there was a moment When we were putting up cards And Vince had been writing Saul all the cards and there was a moment when he started writing jimmy oh, yeah. instead of saul and we started referring to him as jimmy in the room and it was probably a couple episodes in so four, episode, four episodes yeah before we really did that so i think for me that was really the moment and now when people talk about the show they say saul and i don't actually know yeah. what they're talking about sometimes i'm like <laughs> yeah. no, no no it's jimmy and that was it doesn't the moment compute.
2: that's really funny he is a different character and i think that was that was a revelation too It's just that it, once that tipped for us It started to make sense Because I think prior to that point Like a lot of people We were kind of thinking that Saul was like an episode away Or something like that Or changing his name was really just around the corner And then we were like no this, we, We've started him at a point That is so different from Saul That the journey is going to be more interesting if we, if we let this character linger And would take have, his time through I it I would so. have bet any amount of money that he was
5: going to be Saul Goodman by the end of season, one. really? Yeah, and, but we and started.
2: Th- I thought for
5: sure. And The I fact it
4: took so long, the fact you're it took right. so long, you should have bet that the money. The fact <laughs> it took so long was terrifying. I'll just say it for really? myself because, well, you know, you're doing a spin-off and people are expecting things, and and we, you know, so you, where's where's Saul Goodman? Where's the, the crazy title st- of the show is Better Call Call Saul. Saul. <laughs> Better Call Saul. Better Call Saul It's about a guy named Jimmy. What the fuck? <laughs> So exactly. So we were. We we, we got very angry. I mean, I would have at first. I would. Oh, it's just a couple. Just like these, a couple episodes away. And then we realized that wasn't going to happen. And we realized it was right, and that we liked it. Uh, but I had no idea if other people would like it because everyone was expecting the Saul Goodman show. They were expecting him to be double dealing and, right. and screwing around and, and seeing talking to strippers and and none of that. None of that happens. On Better Call Saul. And it's, uh, it's, to me, you asked me about the reception of the show. That might be the single thing that's most meaningful to me is that people have accepted this show on its own terms and this character on his own terms. I haven't. Well, uh, yes. Everybody except Tom. Everybody except Tom. uh, I like how you loop the the mic cord around.
0: (laughs) He's a pro. Pro You're
4: you're a musician. Feels like something you learn from Cher.
0: You have a ten minute set to do after this, right? I'm right.
4: He is a musician, so I I don't. That's keep.
0: Yes. Um, Well, I do want to. I do want to ask, and this is sort of a, a weird, heady question, but how do you shake off expectations because they were huge? I, I knew it was all going to be, be blamed on him if it's short
5: sure. down. So. Easy for you.
2: <laughs> Alcohol and fear?
4: I, I don't know. Say
3: pills. <laughs> I don't, yeah. Um. Yeah.
4: Well, I mean, you know, I have to admit that it crossed my mind that Breaking Bad was great, created and run by Vince Gilligan. And then he adds this other guy with a weird name. <laughs> And the whole thing falls apart. And whose fault is it <laughs> clearly Peter Gould? So uh, that's, that's, that was... I, I really did feel like, okay, this is... This is if, if, it, if, it, if it bombs, this is all going to be on me. And I was ready to throw you under the truck like, <laughs> you immediately. Were, you were. It's like, Peter, fuck this up. Yes, you did. <laughs> you, you said that after the first day, and I thought it was uncalled
0: for. <laughs> um, what did you guys know about Saul Goodman and know about Mike... Because uh, those are the only returning characters coming into this new show.
3: Uh, well, our we actually, I think uh, Heather, Mary, and our writers' assistant mm-hmm. Jen Carroll, and I think Joey Lou went through and actually put all of the Saul Good- took all the Saul Goodman scenes and every mm-hmm. piece of information, all the Mike Ermintrout scenes, every piece of information, and created a, you know, like a binder for us. And so we looked at that and we went. Okay, maybe like you know, like we're gonna try to stick to those, but obviously a character like Saul, you never know what's true and what's not. So that's very freeing. Yeah, so we like the idea of being able to use those things and know those things, but at the same time, we didn't want it to kind of lock us in. Mike, it's a little more cut and dry because mm-hmm. you know Mike's not necessarily necessarily a liar. Um, so that was really it. I think we left it really, really open, and it's a conversation we still have. You know. Yeah,
2: and we got some we got a Mike, it was also more too, because like a lot of the information that we could really hang our hat on was from Hank, and Hank felt like a trustworthy source versus like Saul who says things about himself and it's like <laughs> but but when Hank's saying something about what happened to him in a police record or something official, then we felt a little more constrained. So was there I mean you you do get to look at that binder and say we'll figure it out.
0: Like let's tell the stories we want to stay that we want to tell, but were there times you were hamstrung by continuity, and how did you work around them?
3: Uh, there is an episode called Five O that <laughs> would probably have been the biggest example of that.
2: Yeah, yeah. Which, I mean, this was your episode, right? So I, yeah. yeah, this was my my first episode of television. <laughs> uh, it was a good one. It's a good yeah. one. Which is, a weird, which is great, and I mean, obviously, the, this. The, I think TV writing more than more than almost any other kind of writing is completely a team sport it's like th- this was all of us sitting there coming figuring out what this story was going to be in detail we had stuff pitched out we, we had like every moment of that not things that we didn't intend to see in any way shape or form about like what happened to mike's son and we had we had to card it and up on the boards to refer to so you know we 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 had to sort of figure out what felt right. We also talked to, you know, we took some stuff from Jonathan that he'd talked to. I think he talked to you, Peter, about sort of what he felt his backstory had been uh, with his son. So,
5: I feel like we're mostly a lot of times constrained by Breaking Bad. Mm -hmm. Um, It's almost like Breaking Bad is the gun in Walter White's trunk. That we're trying to we needed to figure out what do we do with it. And we, we put this gun in the trunk and then okay, now now what? We don't know. Um, and breaking bad is this future for for Saul Goodman that is this weird target that we need to, to hit. And mm-hmm. it's uh, you know, luckily you know if, if, the many show years on,
4: away, if the show goes on long enough. That's true. We might be saved from that. That's true, cancellation.
0: Right. Yeah. It seems it seems like it's on the bubble. <laughs> um But you are, I mean, knowing that that is the far target, you are given this sort of leeway to kind of find your way there, I would imagine. There's sometimes, but I I
5: think I brought up uh, Breaking Bad, because a lot of times when we were you know, doing the thing with Walter White and the gun, Vince would be like, "Why the fuck did we put that gun in the trunk? What do we do?" And
2: now there's yeah. he'll say, "Why does thing-
5: Breaking Bad exist? You know, <laughs> know, why do we have to? Why can't we just do this instead?" It'd be, it's just much easier to write something when you don't know the, what the future is
2: because you have. Sh- but I several. think one of the things that's kind of funny about that is that was a conversation that happened just <laughs> all the time once we'd said it. But then it, when we started 5B, we doubled down by putting rice in some and needed to use that, too. So that's the kind of thing that, like, crazy amounts of insane fear will make he's you gonna do, do sometimes.
4: S- he's going to do something, yeah. and he needs a machine gun and rice <laughs> and, and, and a beard. Yeah.
5: And, 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 a, and, and a new a glasses. New and and glasses. for some reason, he's
4: got new glasses.
0: <laughs> and... and
4: the New Hampshire license the plates. The New Hampshire license Had,
2: plates. And, what you, the has, hell were we thinking? Exactly. <laughs> I don't know. Did you learn from that, or did you do no. it again on Saul? Clearly
3: not. <laughs>
2: Clearly not. Now there's a whole series
0: worth of guns and rice yeah. in the future. I mean, no. what, what were some of those things that you planted that you didn't really know where they were going? All that stuff we just listed on Breaking Bad, yeah. <laughs> But in Saul? In
2: Saul? In um, <clears throat> I don't know what we planted that... Uh, we can't say otherwise it'll make us look less smart when we get to that it that ship has sailed garden
3: <laughs> i will say some of the stuff oh, all with, with chuck at the end was not necessarily mm-hmm. is, in mind at the beginning of the season mm-hmm. that was a revelation that happened this is,
4: this is this
5: is true
3: and 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 that was a great revelation and, and it wasn't anything that we were hamstrung by it was sort of a discovery that we made and it, it made it
5: better. and even the character kim we didn't Really set off saying okay they are definitely Had this kind of relationship we're still Talking about what was their past relationship How close did they get or not Get and
0: so those things are still under Discussion
2: that's which is
5: really
0: cool Because I, I like it it makes that relationship Feel very real as if They don't know yeah. you know I think that again it's a relationship we Haven't really seen on TV and yet they're Very very comfortable with each other yeah. which
4: Is you know you find out from you know the cigarette, that cigarette moment in episode one, yeah. uh, and how do you get that? The question is, how do you get that comfortable with somebody? Mm-hmm. And and there are a lot of answers to that. So that's the, you know, we we struggle with that a lot. I, I have to say, I, I agree with Jenny, especially about the chuck of it, because uh, that's actually the thing. Maybe that might be the thing I'm most proud of. Uh, There's so many things I'm proud of on on the first season, but the thing I'm most proud of is that we learned. From the character that we watched, what uh, what what Michael McKeon did with with uh, the character of Chuck, and he surprised us. I think when we first started off, he was sort of a. As I said before, we needed to know who Jimmy cared about, but we wanted to have Jimmy have to take care of somebody, and that was you know really oh, to get under his skin. And so I think we just mainly thought of Chuck as this really smart, really moral guy who was helpless. And Jimmy had to do stuff for And then writing him was so interesting Because he's also incredibly smart And incredibly successful And so he he talks in this very It's almost as Baroque as Jimmy in his own way And then when we saw Michael um, perform him There was another dimension That I'll speak for myself I didn't expect Which was that Chuck has incredible pride He's got incredible pride, and he's also a rather imposing guy. You know, Jimmy becomes around Chuck, and this was something that I didn't really completely understand until uh, we saw that first scene that, that Vince directed in the pilot and that we wrote together. Was the, uh, the, the, it, Jimmy's almost like a puppy dog Running around, running around after this guy And it's, it makes me love Jimmy But it also We started thinking about Chuck's side of it And how Chuck feels about Jimmy Ooh.
0: And what their past was And that's It all grew out of that I think more than anything else oh, That's really interesting And it seems like this is a good opportunity To get Chuck's side of it uh, Please welcome Michael McKeon Thank you,
6: Michael. I, if you don't mind i i'd like to say a piece um <laughs> no i'm kind of here representing the cast and i would like to say that i think there's entirely too much attention being paid to writers okay no <laughs> no 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 it's not like i don't know that we're entering into the uh the late middle second golden age of television here And it's largely due to writers I have no, no no doubt about that But please Remember it is also The early iron age Of creative improvisation We are a tool making people and Having said that I would like to further aver That every line spoken by Bob Odenkirk my Mr. Banks, my Miss Seahorn, myself, all of them, all of it improvised right on the spot. From a rough outline delivered by Vincent and Peter and the gang. And they're wonderful guys. They're very talented. You don't want to say it too loud because they get the big head. But they're wonderful writers, don't get me wrong. But let's face it, you know, these are like all writers, you know, they're looking for a callback, a, call a punchline, and, a, and a, a cliffhanger to get them to the end of the episode, out of that writer's room, and into that parking lot, stat, okay? So before you go all to pieces praising these guys, remember. Um, hold on. Right, right. Remember, without the professionals (laughs) in front of the camera moving their lips and expressing their breaths, all you have are pages full of guesswork with lunch orders written on the back. Okay? I had to say that. Just wanted to get that out of my system. (laughs)
0: Michael (laughs) McKeown. We're not buying it. I think we're about done here. <laughs> uh, Michael, tell us about getting involved with this show and finding the character. Again, it's it's interesting to hear Peter talk about aspects of Chuck that he didn't know about, and and these were discoveries by you clearly first.
6: Really, <laughs> not, not that clear. Um, I was kept in the deep dark. I mean, I, I, I just knew that you know Vince was doing this show, and I was a big Breaking Bad fan. I, and I was working with Brian Cranston and, uh, in, in New York, and we had an entrance together. He was playing LBJ and I was J. Edgar Hoover, and we, had, we were gonna make this entrance, as we did every night around that time. And he turned to me and he goes, you know, you should really play the brother in, that, uh, in the, the Breaking Bad. Break. <laughs> <laughs> well, what? I said, oh, and then we went, to- <laughs> thanks. So we talked about it a little more later on, and, and uh, he told me what was up, and I said, no, that sounds great. And he says, "Yeah, they're going to be calling you. Believe me." And so they—they they kind of did. And I didn't really speak to anybody. I just knew that the—that it was in the wind. And I said, "Well, of course I want to do this." I had worked with Vince on uh, X Files and a uh, couple of episodes that he created with Frank Spotnitz. Created a character I did named Morris Fletcher, who was. The man in black who actually had a home life <laughs> it, was, it was a pretty sad thing um, But anyway uh, So I just I knew I wanted to work with him again I was a huge Breaking Bad fan And so uh, I said yeah sure But then I realized I, I had knew nothing about this Except that it, it was, it was uh, uh, Saul's brother And he was um, You know he was a shut in He had some kind of affliction Which was keeping him away from the world And that's all I knew and his name was Dr. Thurber.
3: <laughs>
6: so, that was, I don't know where that came from. That's some, somebody threw that out there. Dr. Thurber. So uh, Anyway, they, they, everybody cleared it up. And it was, it was very lovely to hear from Peter and, and, and Vince on the phone. They called me. I was still in New York. And they said, well, I said, what's his problem? And, he said, and they said, well, he has this hypersensitivity to electromagnetic fields. Um, I had not read a script, remember. I had not read a, a, a syllable. And uh, this, this is his life. This is what he deals with. And I was so relieved because I was thinking, what if it's like psoriasis? And he's got this, it's like the singing detective, you know, and he's just got oozing sores all over his body. So, yeah, we'll get you into makeup. First day, it'll be about eight, eight eight, and a half hours. And we're, we're going to get it down to six, though, by the end of this series. So uh, I, I was glad I said yes because it just got better when I got there. I'd known Odenkirk for a long, a long time and just think he's amazing, and um, I've had a fabulous time. Have I answered the question or successfully dodged it?
0: Either way, we're satisfied. Thank you. Um, I'm curious to hear from the writers about again, it's sort of like the expectation question, but writing for these guys, uh, Bob and Michael especially, who we know what they have done. (laughs) We know uh, in many ways the Creative uh, leaps they are capable of uh, in, in just creating their own things um, So how do you start to work with them uh, Once you know that they are involved I mean I for one was very nervous To work with
5: both Michael and Bob Because I've been fans of their comedy for yeah. And their work
6: for so many years I mean, And we were very difficult, you knew that So difficult
5: <laughs> um, But as a... <laughs> From a writing standpoint, it's, it's what a relief to know that you could basically put anything down on the page And they're going to be able to deliver and make something of our crap you know, It's just, you know, even, even the, the, most, the, the worst of our writing is going, to, is going to shine with these guys So it's, sure. I mean
6: You
4: sound like you're buying into what he was saying
6: I think I am <laughs> into your heads Somebody Let put
3: me something say, in my water.
6: I don't think we've seen the worst of your writing yet <laughs> That's, That didn't come out the way I meant it I think that there
0: is something to that. I mean, you know, you have this safety net, right? That these guys can pull off anything you do. But that also, the flip side of that is, I have to earn having guys this good performing
2: my lines. Yeah, I tried to avoid thinking about it. Really seriously, I, I, it was like I knew I would get in my own head. It was like, okay, I just have to pretend this is not happening until I get on. Uh, until I got on set, and then it was like, okay, fine, I just have to deal with this. But
4: you know, but we we had a uh, an easier ramp with Bob. Than Michael, because Bob, you know, Bob was on Breaking Bad, and, and I was lucky enough to uh, write his first episode of Breaking Bad in season two, and that was, I think, my third episode of television, actually. Were you ever Better... so young, Peter? What's that? Were you
3: ever so young? My hair was
4: brown, <laughs> uh, I, I was thinner, and and, and and so many other things. Uh, but the uh... you're still damn attractive. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Tommy. Thank you, Tommy. keep going you're the man with the golden taint Uh, uh, but working with bob we got to we got to grow with the character a little bit and and i think what i think bob would would say i none of us knew what breaking bad was going to be in season two we i knew we loved it I don't think Bob was that aware of what it was I think he just knew he was going to Albuquerque to play, play a character And then he, he started finding there was, there was a lot of interesting material And what happened, as the, the seasons went on Saul became more and more central to the show And even though he was always presented He always had that bounce in his step that made him seem like funny Which he was, he's always funny but he got more progressively more dramatic, and his reactions were always so grounded and so real. And and to get to so we that was one of the things that gave us the confidence to, to say, This is this Bob is should be the star of this show. This is this is this is something that we want to get into. Because if we if it hadn't been Bob, if anybody else had played that role, I don't think we'd be sitting here tonight. I don't think uh, because Bob brought. To that character, just as I said, Michael brought the pride and, and 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 the depth to to Chuck that I don't I don't think would have been there with anyone else. Bob brought a weird earnestness and optimism yeah. to possibly the most cynical character <laughs> on television. And what kind of combination is that? That somebody who is so incredibly who tells you, eh, maybe you should kill him, and yet he seems like kind of a fun guy. <laughs> <laughs> I, I you know, that's 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 yeah. kind of a it's 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 really a contradiction, uh, but for some reason there's there's some alchemy with, with Bob and with that role. So that was that was that was an easier ramp. But Michael what we what we knew is what well, we loved his work and of course Vincent had worked with with Michael on um on X Files and so when we were pitching the character that was wouldn't it be great if we get Michael McKean oh, to really? play this role? That's great. And so it's so rare. It ha- It's happened a <laughs> couple of times. It happened with uh, Robert Forrester. Mm-hmm. where literally the, the person who we talked about in the writer's room ended up playing the role.
0: And what a thrill yeah. that is. So there you That's go. exciting. Um, I, I do want to talk about comedy on this show because uh, it's a it's an interesting thing, and I think you guys... No pressure, but I think you're changing what we can do in an hour show these days. Uh, yeah.
3: Okay. <laughs> Say more. I,
0: you know, it is essentially a drama, uh, but every scene, there's a comic element to it, and it it 100% comes from the characters. And I want to start with you, Michael, and talking about, you know, again, this is potentially a very serious character, but there's always... A turn. There's always some sort of. I
6: have not found this to be so. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I I think it's a. <clears throat> not enough is said about the the serial nature of of our knowledge of these characters, and by our I mean I mean the uh, the, the uh, cast. I, I didn't know that the turn in in episode nine. Which was, you know, once I knew about it Oh, get me to the church on time I knew it was going to be cool and fun But until that happened Until Peter and Vince called me And, and, and Tom, you were on the line as well I believe And they just said, sit down <laughs> And I was in New York And they just kind of spelled it out said, this is, what, this is what Chuck is really about here You know, This this is And I won't say that the scales fell from my eyes and everything made sense, but it was like, holy shit. And a phrase came to mind, which I, I say a lot in my life. Nobody is just one thing. And uh, it, as an actor, it's always just wonderful when someone puts some. oh, by the way, he, he's a snake handler. <laughs> or I mean, you know, that there's, that there's something else about this guy. Anything that makes this person as, uh, as close to being a real person As I can make him the better So I was just But you know but as far as humor goes Which was I think part of the original question I think that's in the writing I just think that I have to play it really straight Mm -hmm. uh, You know because I'm a man on a mission And I know that I'm vaguely Ridiculous (laughs) In in my suffering I mean I'm the only guy with a space blanket in, (laughs) In that neighborhood so i know you know and i know that so there's always a, an element of the fool but it's when the fool turns out to have fangs that's you know well I, and i think that absolutely
0: it, yeah. is it like people are not just one person and right. all of these characters get to be multifaceted characters which which is why i say that Saul is changing what we get to be
6: uh, in comedy well yeah so is orange is the new black though really yeah. because they they absolutely. they're calling that a comedy show and it's a Kind of a tragic show in a lot of ways, but you know, I mean, what what definition are we doing here? And and I wanted to open it up
0: to you guys and talk about in the room are there discussions about how far to push things and what is too funny or not? And and Tom, I'm thinking specifically of a scene from your uh, the episode that you directed um, with the, uh, oh, the the parking lot scene, the parking lot yeah. scene, but also the the pimento scene, okay, <laughs>
2: um,
0: which is a very funny scene, but it's also Scary and sort of fraud. I don't think we ever talk about how funny is too funny. It's just you know
5: if it pleases us, we I think we do it. We don't. There's never any debate about oh this is too. Fu-. I mean if something's unrealistic, then we don't go there. Yeah. Usually, I think maybe
4: <laughs> it's happened, probably maybe happened in the past, but we try not to. It, you know our, our mandate is really we don't try to be funny. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean if we find funny, we're happy. And we're, we're in, and we, with this cast, if if there's any hint of funny, they're they're going to find it and make make wonderful do wonderful things with it. But it's it's really fo- taking the character and following him where where he takes us more than anything. And you know we're cautious because and this frankly that was one of the reasons why the half hour version didn't feel right to me because I'll speak for myself. I'm not a comedy writer. I so respect. Uh, comedy writing. I I got to uh, once uh, I did a few little um, web things with Bob for for Saul Goodman. We have a, a Better Call Saul web page that we did after season three, I think. And I got I got to write with Bob briefly. It was like one day, and it was like going it was like going to fantasy baseball camp. <laughs> you know, you get to write comedy with one of the greatest minds in comedy, and to get to see how he works and it's fascinating and it's completely different from the way we operate it's just it's 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 a different it's a it's a different discipline that i have no pretense of of achieving uh so that's and that's part of i think that's 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 part of the show i don't think i I don't know about any of the the other writers having i mean they're all really funny people and we laugh a lot we probably laughed a little bit more on breaking bad i think <laughs> uh, <Yeah. laughs> it's, it's, it's because Breaking Bad was so whatever. There was something it's about that
3: show—gallows humor, humor. Yeah,
4: and we had, th- yeah. And, and so, but that—that that, I think that's uh, it, the main thing. We never we try not to do is reach for comedy mm-hmm. or to say to ourselves, "This is getting too heavy. Let's add something." It, it, it's never. It never. It's never like a cake. And when we, when we started off, people would ask us, and we would respond, oh, it's going to be, if Breaking Bad was 70% drama and 30% comedy, this will be 70% comedy and 30% drama. And, it, you know, it was just complete bullshit. Right.
6: <laughs> That's not how you make a show. Apparently not. 100% bullshit, you could say.
0: Uh, I want to make sure we have time for questions from you guys. Do you have questions? Do. Um, now, here we have some rules.
6: That's a good-looking
0: problem. <laughs> We have some rules, you guys. I'm going to ask you to stick to them. I have a lot more things I want to ask these guys, so don't waste my time. Please keep your questions brief. Uh, Think about what you want to ask right now. Distill it to one sentence. That ends in a question mark. Questions begin with W or H, not with I.
5: You said not to begin with I, but first, just thanks for bringing, like, the best dramatic television.
3: <laughs> God, God damn it. Um, I will literally murder you. What's um, your question?
2: Actually, I was actually wondering, I'm always really uh, surprised at the musical uh, elements you guys bring
5: to
4: it. Do you, do you guys choose the songs yourselves, or do you just leave it to the music supervisor? Or Got
6: a great musical.
1: Yeah.
4: Great music supervisor. That's, that's, a, that's a terrific question. Uh, do, you, do you want to take that song? No. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll go I'll go I'll go But you guys have to help me With Thomas G's How to pronounce We have, we have, a, we have a, a, The same musical team Who did Breaking Bad And it's, it's uh, Our composer Is Dave Porter Who is, uh, is Is a Is a brilliant guy And has a Wonderful taste and the, uh, the, our music supervisor is Thomas Goblevick. And the... the how was that? Uh, okay. And the, the, the process essentially is the same as it was on Breaking Bad, which is that we have a, a spotting session. And we go through the episode scene by scene. And after each scene, we turn to, to, the, to Thomas and Dave and say, what do you think? And, and, and Thomas will say, let me try something here. Or David, I can take this. Or Dave will say... Or sometimes, especially if it's comedy, Dave will say, I, I don't want to touch this because what we realized quickly is that we didn't want funny music. Mm-hmm. And so, for the most part, the scenes that, that are more comedic have um, no score. They may have, they may have source music, but there's no score. And one of the things that it took us, it actually was probably one of the most difficult parts of adapting from one show to the other because we all thought and I think this is true in every department from writing to cinematography to grip to electric and to editorial. We all thought, oh, we've been working together for a while. It's another show, but it's not that. It's different, but it's not that different. And we were wrong. And finding the right musical character for this show uh, was a struggle. You know, we're finding, for instance, we're finding we're using more uh, jazz. But part of the process will be Thomas... Will give us many options on a lot of the a lot of the, the pieces, and it's up to us to say, yeah, that's that's great, or how about something more like this? Uh, one of the examples that made me so happy was there's a, a little montage, at the uh, in in the last episode that aired um, with uh, with all the superimpositions and all that fun stuff, and we actually uh, cut that to something I lo- I loved Miles Davis. It was a great abstract Miles Davis piece. But it, it made the whole sequence very abstract. Right. It didn't give it a drive, and I liked it also because I had the call out to Miles Davis at the beginning of the episode, and I thought wouldn't that. But <laughs> but as it as it worked out, as it worked out, uh, we kept trying different things against it, and Tom uh, Thomas or I think it was somebody on his team actually found this uh, Henry Mancini piece that I'd never heard before. That just kind of lit the, lit the sequence up at least, at least to our eyes And so that's, that's an example of, of uh, how the process works And sometimes it goes really quickly And sometimes it is exhaustive
0: <laughs> uh, That actually reminds me That's a great question I did want to ask you Because uh, Peter, you directed that finale uh, As well as wrote it um, And Tom, you directed It was the episode right before It was Pimento, right? Um, as directors of the show how is that a different creative voice for you? Uh, and and how much do you get to stretch it? I mean, thinking about that sequence that you're describing, that sort of montage, it was it was a really interesting piece, and it didn't look like anything else was on that from the show, but it clearly belonged in the show, which is a tough thing. Sure. Um, so how, talk about that line and getting to express yourselves as directors. You know, I never. This
4: is maybe an embarrassing thing to admit, but I never thought of myself as a writer. When I was growing up, I have I had a, what they called dyslexia. I don't know if it really was, but I had a terrible time. I still have a terrible time with spelling and with uh, a punctuation. And uh, it's just it's, I, I find I used to find writing very, very painful and difficult. And it was for me. I I really loved filmmaking produ- I which to me and what I've learned is that, for me anyway, and, and everybody has a different philosophy, it's all one thing. It's all one, we all do different parts of it, but it's one thing. You know, it's writing, directing, even, in a weird way, even acting, it, they're all different parts of this, in editing and post-sound, they're all parts of trying to tell a story in this, in this medium that we've got. And so for me, getting to direct, you know, even though um, it's, it's, uh, it's very, it can be very intimidating, not really because of our cast, because our cast is so welcoming and so supportive and so creative, but because the other directors on the show are just murderers row. I mean, you know, how do you, how do you, how do you direct after, you know, how do you direct, uh, and I don't know if. Tom is Tom is an incredible director, but then you also have Michelle McLaren and Adam Bernstein and Colin Colin Buckby. And these people are and and Larissa Kondraki, these these people are just great directors and they have a facility for Mm -hmm. directing.
5: And And they so many of them from Breaking Bad that thankfully. We got to shadow
4: them or watch them yes. throughout the years and, and learn steal from them. From them. Steal from, from them, absolutely. Terry McDonough. I mean, I could go on. The, I, Terry McDonough. And you know, in the last season of Breaking Bad, the way it worked out, this was not the way it was originally planned. I directed an episode after Ryan Johnson <laughs> and before Vince Gilligan. There was me, and I, and I can tell you, I was. It was. I was. Uh, I was tripping, man. Uh, so, so, you know, that's—I don't know if that answers the question,
6: but, but I, I think that for me, it's anyway. Such a Largo it's, thing to say.
4: Yeah, it's the stage. Now I want to do a radio show. Tom, did you did you want to add to that?
5: Uh, well, I mean, I'm a control freak, so it, I slipped right in there. Because I, 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 when I'm uh, when we write our episodes, I think we write—we tend to spell shots out a lot of times. So in a way, when we're writing, we're kind of visually directing the episode in a weird way. So we we we'll, we used to call out shots a lot. Like a lot of the strange angles, we would put right into the scripts. So it's just uh, when you're writing one of these scripts, it's just it's an easy transition. I know it wasn't easy, but it felt, it's a very, it felt very comfortable to me. Yeah, it makes
4: sense. we do everything that they taught me not to do in film school in writing. You know, they would always say, "Don't call out shots. That's the director's job. Don't." Tell the actors what's going on If it's not visual, how do you show this we, we, do, we, do, we do all those We do all those things because we want to give As much information yeah. to the uh, To the reader as possible
0: Well, and let me ask you, Michael Receiving one of these scripts Where there is, you know, he's feeling this And maybe it's not something visual It's not something physical to do How do you start to translate that? And is it that unusual?
6: Well This material is unusually good In that it has been Looked at By its creators And occasionally gone No, no, no Someone's done a lot of the heavy lifting Already Nothing ever shows up in front of us That doesn't make sense which is what you sometimes get as an actor. You get stuff that's like, well, this is a really nice line I have here. There is no reason on earth for me to be saying this line, but it's an excellent line, and I would give it. have the maid come in and say it, because I, I have no idea. She might be in love with her. I don't know. But in this case... You know, it's just all It's very clear on the page And there's, you know In those block things That are not the lines you know, those other little things That you guys put on the, on the page I always read those Often too late But I always do get around to them But I remember in, in, in this The most fun I had I'll be very honest with you The most fun I had reading a script This season The most fun I had Was the episode I was not in It was 106 Right? Which was which was Jonathan's show, and it was just great fucking reading. (laughs) And so uh, you know, it's nice to have all that info and and stuff that you can work with when you're actually doing the acting. But this is just really good writing. And like I say, there are very few moments when there are any head scratchers. There, I I know where this, I know what this is because I know who I am. Because they do. That's a great feeling. Uh, Jen, do you have someone over there?
2: First of all, thank you all for being here. Um, I have a question for uh, Gordon and Jenny. Um, starting off as <laughs> assistants uh, for people that you're now staffed with, how how has that transition been?
3: Uh, you know, it was it was uh, it was a pretty easy transition for me, just because uh, the staff of Breaking Bad is so generous. Um, they never made me feel like. Oh, you're just the assistant who moved up. Even when I did my first episode, I was still a writer's assistant. It was a freelance episode, um, but Vince treated me like a writer. Um, he sent me to set. He I was I wasn't taking notes in the room. I was sitting in the room as a writer, so uh, it was more in my head. My head was the har- it was the harder transition of like breaking assistant habits. Like the director goes, "Oh, where'd you get that water?" and it was hard for me to not be like, "Oh, I'll get you one." Um, <laughs> 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 it's like there there are- people will do that uh so it was it was actually a really great transition for me externally it was mostly just wrapping my head around it
2: uh yeah luckily i'd been on long enough that most of the hazing had been done <laughs> while i was still an it's not over uh, still not quite over but you know they you know tried to get rid of me in in Colombia. that failed uh there were a lot of things that were done but uh so so i feel like yeah it was a it was a pretty by by the time i started in the room it it felt like i don't know it, did, it didn't feel that different just just uh, yes the psychological like okay uh what do i do now <laughs> but it still makes me uncomfortable though. i know i know i know
4: well, i'll just I'll say <laughs> from my point of view it's 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 an interesting tra- the biggest change i think from from my point of view is that Assistants tend to be very cautious about pitching things or giving a reaction. Uh, and it, it's, it's um, I don't know if that's a good thing or not, but, but what was interesting to me is to watch both these guys bloom in the writers' room, and, and start and and become these people, you, because that you would have to. Ask, it, it, it used to be you'd have to ask. So what what, do you, what are you thinking over there, Gordon? And 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 he would he would tell you. Now he's 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 shut up. it's true. But I, no, it, well, I, I, I didn't want to do the intervention. I, this isn't actually
2: intervention for you. But no, this, but this, I, that's what I, this is. As an assistant, and I think Jenny you've said this before too. It's like you 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 kind of. You have to wait until everyone has pitched themselves out, and is exhausted, and and that's really the time you want to be pitching an idea, right? When everyone else is miserable and like frustrated, so you you can't pitch wild. You, you can't. You have to pitch something that feels like it could land. How did so you learn it that? It is cautious. How did you learn that? Just, you just kind of watch it happen. <laughs> can, and if you try, you can see. You can sense it. If you try, no, no. Hey guys, what about this? And it just lands with a thud. It's like okay, I gotta. Make sure that I'm, I'm a little more cautious You can just read the rhythm of the room, I think I never learned any of that
3: <laughs> That's why being an assistant first Is actually really helpful That's, that's,
2: really, good. that's really good You learn
3: how a room no. works No,
4: I still don't know
0: uh, Another question from the side
2: Hi, thanks for being here um, I'm not a writer, so excuse my ignorance But it seems like it, you're in a unique situation As writers where you know where the story Has to end up in some ways, but What's that creative process like of maybe not knowing how much time you have, how many seasons, how many episodes or what, you know, I imagine there are business considerations and contracts, but there's also the creative forces at, at play. So, can you tell us a little bit about that process?
0: Yeah, I'm curious to hear about laying out the story. You know, you guys knew how many episodes you had in the first season, and I think you know for the second season too. And you kind of knew coming in that you were getting the the second season or at least early enough. Um, but can you talk about Figuring out that's the right story to tell in these ten episodes and
2: how it all laid out—it's a big question. Well, I think I'll, I'll speak by myself. I'm not entirely sure we know where this story ends. Honestly, like we have talked about options of oh, are we gonna are we gonna tell sort of the you know Rosenkrantz and Guildenstern version where we see behind the scenes of what happened from Saul's point of view during Breaking Bad? Do we stop? Do we what? What constitutes the endpoint there? And we also have already seen, you know, one flash forward or flashback—I don't know—to uh, to Omaha to, to Saul as Gene in Omaha. So we don't really know. We, there's a lot of unknowns to us in terms of that that endpoint that that gives us some liberty, I think.
3: Yeah, and I think there's a lot of, as Peter was saying, you know, uh, why isn't he Saul yet? Why isn't he Saul yet? And and as we're going through, there's always sort of an inclination to go faster, and we tend to reach points where we're like, okay, we need to slow this down, which I think is something we learned on, on Breaking Bad is really process is, is a big part of it, and especially with a show like Better Call Saul. It's how did Jimmy become Saul. So it is really an ongoing thing, and kind of giving ourselves the... Permission to slow down when we feel we need to slow down. I think is that's sort of a a daily struggle, but sort of the thing we're aiming for. I think.
0: Well, it's a tough thing in storytelling in general. I mean, as writers, we tend to want to live with these characters. Uh, So again, how much story is too much story, or how much is not enough story? I imagine these are questions that come up. Those, those are your questions. (laughs) (laughs) In network television.
5: What you get a lot is the phrase, oh, we have to keep turning cards over and speed things up and keep things moving where, you know, these Vince and Peter and, you know, they've earned the trust of AMC to just, we just get to do our thing. We don't, we're not told to speed things up or do things faster, which is a tremendous luxury. And I, you know, I've worked on the other way where they're telling you, you know, we've laid out a story. Okay, now why don't you take episodes one through four and just sort of mash them together into one story and that's why network
4: television sucks. <laughs> <laughs> but but having, having said that, and I couldn't agree more with everything that you guys say, uh, but having said that, we try to tell the story with showmanship. And that's that's one thing. I, I don't want to make it sound like we're We're on some kind of, you know, we're on a hilltop, you know, contemplating our navels because we really want people to care, and so we. Well, it's never two heads talking in a room. We think about, yeah, we think in the big. To me, just for me, the biggest struggle with this character is what does he always? What does he have to lose? And what does he, you know, what does he want on his on the superficial level and in this in this scene, but also in the bigger level on in this season or in his life and those are those are not easy questions to answer but we try to whatever we do we try to add a little bit of showmanship and also to have you know to present things in the most fun way that we can so
0: absolutely someone over here
6: uh first of all thanks guys again obviously um My first comment is, Mike, you make being in electricity look really sexy and awesome. Um, um, But honestly, I love, as a Breaking Bad fan, I love how you guys have kind of incorporated that series in a slight way with Tuco in the first episode, and obviously Herman Truck getting behind the scenes. Uh, I want to know kind of if that's a trend you continue to kind of integrate into the show.
4: (laughs) Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I don't, No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> what, what? I'll tell love, you. We Tom like Tom all those. Now. We love all those characters too on, on Breaking Bad. I mean, we love we love so many of them. As, we, you know, especially Walt and Jesse, and but but all of them. You know, Skyler, Marie, and we have a board in our writers' room in which we have the names. Uh, this every, is actually, character, every, every character. Every character. Every character who we could conceive uh, of bringing back. From Breaking Bad, and actually now we've added characters from this show too, because we we, we want to see them. Having said that, I, I don't know. You tell me. I mean, I feel like you really want there to be a function. You don't want it to be a cameo. You don't want it to be now, really, Around the World in Eighty Days, you know, where the you know the waiter is the waiter's a movie star. Uh, it's, you you want you want to have something meaty. If you're going to see Walter White, you want. Some story with Walter White, you just don 't want him to to ring Saul up at the cash register of the octopus so so it's and and you know it 's also the concerns you don 't want the background of the story to take over the foreground right. uh, so is, these are all I mean, but the big thing for us really is to figure out what's how does this fit into this story because if those worlds overlap i I think we 're all for it, and there are some ways in which we we're Almost obligated. If the show goes on long enough, there are things that are pretty much obligated to do just because they've been set on, on Breaking Bad as being part of that Breaking Bad universe. So those are those are all things that that we think about, and we love we love those actors and we love those characters, and they're also really popular
6: and really busy.
4: So uh, so there's that's that is another that's another thing to
6: keep and, in mind. In 2002, Jesse would be, like, 13? <laughs> How old do you think Jesse was on Breaking Bad? Oh, in 2008, when you started? Yeah. He was supposed to be just out of school? Couple, yeah, I guess a couple years, 20, right? He
3: was 23. 23. 23. Okay, well. Jenny knows
6: everything. <laughs> <laughs> when you get FY to be on. my age, everyone looks 18. So. Um, but he would be yeah. a much younger man than he is. Yes. Yeah, we just have to recast, that's all. (laughs) Yeah, that'll go down well. That kid who just left uh, One Direction, he's hot. it would be really good. You have to learn the American accent, but, you know, come on. Uh, I will also say, there is... um... There's a great, uh,
0: the Breaking Bad Insider Is that what it's called? The Breaking Bad Insider podcast yeah. That is yeah. the official podcast That you guys put out what, what is the editor's name? I forget It's
4: Kelly Dixon and yeah. you're not telling me people actually listen I
0: listen, I listen. Yeah. Uh, But for those of you who don't And maybe, I, I know a lot of this stuff escaped me These guys have put in little Nods and easter eggs and things To the Breaking Bad series Saul, And they kind of call those out In the, uh, in the podcast It's worth checking out All right, another question, someone on the side. Hey, you guys. So, uh, there's a very distinct visual style to Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul, as well as a writing style. Um, So, I was wondering if that's like a collective thing that you guys decide on, and and what is that process like?
4: That's a great question. Um, well, of course, one of the things, the piece of continuity between the two is that Vince Gilligan directed the pilot of Breaking Bad, and he directed the pilot of Better Call Saul. <laughs> Having said that, we, we spent a lot of time thinking about what's the same and what's different. We have for instance, we have a different production designer, Tony Fanning, who, who's, 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 uh, who's got a different view. And we also have a different DP, Arthur Albert. And we're also shooting in a different medium. Breaking Bad, we shot... 35-millimeter, beautiful silver nitrate film. And on this show, we're shooting with soulless, godless digital. He's
3: uh, totally over
4: it. Totally over it. So, no, I'm totally over it. Blood-eyed uh, vision. I'm totally over it. It looks great. I know, and Arthur, Arthur's a master with it. But we, we, thought about, we thought a lot about what's the same and what. And this is, you know, you're talking about this is the area. That that's that's uh, I'm fascinated by. I love so I love the fact that you're even calling out the visual style. One of the things that we did at the beginning um, was that we thought about having a uh, Breaking Bad. A lot of the the camera was always floating. The camera is almost always handheld. And uh, our camera operators, if you if you had gone to the set of Breaking Bad, even if it was the camera's on a dolly, you might see the camera actually resting on a sandbag to give it a little bit of motion. On Saul, it's different. The the um, the camera tends to be a little bit more planted and that gives us different options for the kinds of compositions we use. We created a a little style book on an iPad of about uh, 50, 100 pictures just lifted from different movies and we went through them with not only with Arthur but with our A and B camera operators and kind of said you know we we really are interested in compositions that that, that have Uh, A lot, a lot of, uh, uh, a lot of, a lot of empty space on one side. We like this kind of thing. Do
0: you remember what some of those stills? Uh, You know, a
4: lot of the there was the Conformist was uh, this. You know, which is the classic movie that people used to always pull out for this. So that's that's it was the Conformist. There's a whole. There's, I can't even. Joey Joey Lou, my assistant, knows all of them by heart. Uh, but it was it was a lot, and he, he also found a lot of wonderful stills. And we went through that. We'd go over dinner time, uh, have have a nice meal, and then it was perfect. The perfect filmmaking life. And then you go through these you go through these these stills, and and really just use them as inspiration. Mm-hmm. And Vince also came up with another idea, which would have not have occurred to me, which is the idea of using zoom lenses. Uh, which really fell out of uh, And I'll speak for myself When I was in film school That was anathema The last thing you wanted was, Zooms were really Off limits And we Vince found a way It's inspired I mean it's all lifted you know, From Stanley Kubrick Of, of you using a slow zoom And probably There's some great examples My favorite probably is in the second episode, which Michelle McLaren directed, where there's a zoom past uh, Tuco breaking the legs of those two skate rats, and slowly, and then, you, then just with Nacho and Jimmy, and Nacho giving Jimmy a look, and then slowly just onto Jimmy as he winces and hears that, that horrible, horrible sound. Uh, and, and so those, those are all things that we, and also, in addition, I, I'll keep going. Uh, <laughs> sorry, there's, um, there's color. And we don't, you know, you have a limited amount of control over color unless you have an unlimited budget, because you know we can't. It's not, it's not like a Antonioni. We don't, we don't get to paint blocks of Albuquerque with our own colors. But we use, we use, uh, uh, we use, we use costumes especially, and we have a, we have a fantastic costume designer, Jennifer, who's uh, Jennifer, uh, Jennifer Bryant, Jennifer Bryant, thank you, uh, who is, who is has a tremendous sense of character and works so well with the cast and also is is great with color so we we decided to make a a, a, uh it's it may sound simplistic a slightly different color code we thought about what uh the idea of criminals or crime being emotionally hotter and so using using hotter colors for for characters like that and it's that's a game you can play on the show is to sometimes see who's wearing a warmer color and who's wearing a cooler color and it may tell you something about that character at least in season one uh, something about that character and what their intentions are and who they are, so those are, you're talking about mothers, mother. I could go on, this is, this is my, favorite,
0: my favorite thing I, I, don't make me talk about dialogue but this I can talk about oh my goodness making TV is hard you guys uh, questions Why? over here
3: Speaking of Easter eggs, do you think as Jimmy becomes more like Saul, you'll do more Breaking Bad ones, or sort of try to keep them in the Better Call Saul world? I mean, we, we
0: or will it be like a whole other, a third TV show. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we, we love
4: doing
3: those. And, and uh, I mean, you know, P- and Peter, in in the finale, you had the in in Breaking Bad, Saul at one point says, you know, I. I once convinced a woman I was Kevin Costner, and it worked because I believed it. It's and, Tom's line, by the way. Yeah, and, uh, and, and so Peter put that in, uh, his finale. And, and we love stuff like that. It's just finding the balance of, you don't really want Better Call Saul to be the greatest hits of Breaking Bad. and So it's just sort of finding that balance. Um, but, yeah, I mean, we love it. And love I think also, like
2: it's we, as much as we put things in, it's... We don't just put things in, you know. It's like that. Always, that, about that, that, yeah, that was a moment that seemed to say we were in a, a place for Jimmy in his sort of you know binge, uh, his his hitting the skids at the end of the at the end of the season. That it felt like it was appropriate. It felt like that would be some kind of scam that he would pull in the midst of that. So it's, we try and find ways that it's like they're they're not just hidden Easter eggs that it's like oh look you just found something, but like that they 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 add something to both experiences of the show. Sometimes you have no choice when. Jonathan Banks has a lunch
5: bag It's clearly going to be a pimento sandwich (laughs) Of Jenny's episode
0: Where he offers Jesse a pimento That's literally all he
6: eats
0: (laughs) Uh, Another one over here We have time for a few more Uh, Which
6: one of you is responsible for coining The phrase or coining the act Of the Chicago
2: sunroof Clearly you've never been to Chicago Sir (laughs) Uh, (laughs) honestly, I mean, there are comedy answers we could give here, uh, but like, we, we just started pitching ideas, and it was, I, I, I could not attribute it necessarily to any yeah, one I, I honestly cannot like, either, it's a group
3: it's sort of magic of the room, <laughs> it's a group think where
2: ideas are thrown out there, and you just don't remember who said somebody, what, yeah, somebody said poop, somebody said sunroof, somebody said children in the backseat, it, it was like literally that kind of like uh, someone else over here
3: a humble brag question if you will For each of you what is your Single favorite scene that you wrote And for Michael that you performed Of this show I would,
0: I would Extend that to um, A question we occasionally ask on these Panels which is uh, Was there a scene or even you know Piece of an episode a, a sequence That you thought this is exactly As I intended or this is Exactly me on the page maybe something personal uh
2: i mean i i i i i don't know uh i'm both i'm partial to two scenes and they're very different because my my, the two episodes that i I got i was lucky enough to have this season were just so completely black and white different so um i i was very happy with the the with jonathan's monologue at the end of six that, that came out uh very nicely i mean that that it came up better than i, I wrote it and better than i could have ever hoped so um, so i was very happy with that and i was very happy with the dumpster scene in eight just because, just because, uh, bob bob's reading of the magic flute which was a line we pitched in the room when we were talking about it it's just like where are you i'm at the opera just and his, his squeak of the magic flute just makes me laugh every time uh, and the story behind Again
0: I'll, I'll plug the Insider podcast The story behind that dumpster scene is a lot of fun There's a lot of kind of bits about how You guys pulled that together which I yeah. really loved uh, Jenny can you think of anything?
3: Oh yeah um, Like Gordon I have a, I have. A couple. Um, I'm as sorry, far we only have time for one. Yeah, sorry. Uh, okay. <laughs> no, no, Basically, anything with the Kettlemans was um, some of my favorite stuff to write, just because those guys were fantastic. And like Gordon says, you know, the the best thing about writing is when the actors make it even better than you could have possibly imagined. Which without, is without changing the words. Without changing. The words. Um, which is which is is. You know what? What we've been, what we we're lucky enough to have on this show, and then quickly at the end of episode seven, when Jimmy goes back to the office and he kicks the door, um, and then he breaks down, and then he answers his phone. I just, I, I mean, yeah. ugh, that's one of those scenes that you're just like, this is why I do this. Um, yeah, Bob, I thought was so amazing Thanks.
5: in that. Uh, I got very lucky to have two scenes that I loved writing, which was. Uh, Jonathan in the parking deck Getting to punch somebody in the throat Because uh, he's been threatening that to Every one of us for years now And finally he got to take somebody down And then the scene with uh, Michael and Bob where the two brothers Confront each other And uh, Michael gets to Reveal his true feelings
0: about uh, His brother not being a real lawyer That had to be a difficult scene to write No <laughs> it was, like, no, it was a, I love that
5: Good answer. stuff
6: I mean it's
0: just—I just, it just, mean—there's an emotional honesty in that. Even though they are, even though Bob is playing a game, there's an emotional honesty on that. that yeah, the him going—I me. I mean—and the way Bob plays it, yeah. though. It is, I mean, it's these guys were perfect.
5: I, I can't say enough about the homework they did going into the scene. It was just fantastic, and just—I love all the stuff when he finally cracks and and goes after his brother, and and uh, you know, you're a chimp with a machine gun. It's great that we know what the future of Saul Goodman is, and we know that Chuck, on some level, is speaking a truth. That we all, you know, if Breaking Bad didn't exist, then this scene would have a very different
0: tone to it. Um,
6: So you already know my favorite
0: scene. (laughs) Was was that yours as well? Was, again, I mean, maybe I, I just don't know these things, but was it a difficult scene to sort of? dig deep on and, and find the, honest, the
6: emotional honesty <clears throat> of it? I don't think so I, 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 it was really like it was just we love it when it's plain when it's clear and there's that moment we've had it in our lives, everyone has had it in their lives when you're keeping up some kind of f- false front or there's some reason you're not saying something you're not doing something and then you sort of have to and as unpleasant it is, is, as it is there's a sort of relief yeah. to it it's sort of like, oh, here's where we are now. And, you know, it, it, all those words sounded awful because I hadn't ever said them to him before. I, it had been part of my job, part of my the, the mission my mother put me on, is to n- make sure that Jimmy doesn't feel that shit that I was laying on him. So it was just very clear. It wasn't difficult because the writing was so good. And I also knew that I was right. I also knew that no, I mean, yeah. you, know, you just accept these things. You know, I, I knew that. I knew that on some on some level, Chuck was exactly right, like you said.
5: What I was worried about was that there were. I mean, many. I don't think it was a sur- surprise what happened. There were many clues throughout the episode. We have him leave his house in a space blanket and get on a cell phone. So I think everybody, on some level, knew. Okay, he's calling Hamlin, and he's doing something. And when. Jimmy doesn't get the job You sort of Can put the pieces together But then His The the performance Of these guys Just you know Just you don't care That you knew What was coming It's still like Oh my Holy shit What just happened
0: (laughs) Well it's the inevitable And maybe a little surprising But really honest And and, yeah Satisfying To me it's a perfect example Of not going out of your way to protect the twist.
5: Yeah.
0: If,
4: if people, people sometimes get the impression that what really thrills an audience and what's thrilling dramatically is a, is a twist or a reversal, but sometimes it's, it's got more impact if, if, if you can feel it coming. Yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, it's getting that right. I, Even I, if I'm it's a too good... I'm to- vamping because I, 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 my, my, in terms of my favorite... It's it's the whole season. It's really hard for me to pick because I, I just I'm I was I was so proud of how the whole season came together. Uh, if, we'll we'll if, accept if that. That's the thing. That, well, I, one of the, my favorite moments was getting to watch Bob do that um, monologue at Bingo. Um, <laughs> that was that was. If you ask me, if there's something that came out the way I pictured it, that came out the way I pictured it. Plus plus plus. <laughs>
0: Uh, All right, I think we have time for one more. Do you want to grab one?
6: No? Todd has one? Todd? Todd, I'm assuming you're Canadian. because your name is Todd and you look like a Canadian. I like Canadians. And you're very polite. You're very polite. You're profiling. Uh, The theme of, of characters being forced into
4: these moral choices that aren't entirely their own, that are a function of the universe... Was that a carryover from Breaking Bad? Did that evolve when you kind of went from the half hour to the hour? Or is that, you know, just an accident? That's, I think... I think that this, you know, it, when you say someone's going to become Saul Goodman, that so much of that is uh, a moral journey that, that I think it just naturally grows out of a series of choices. And I think everybody has... Uh, choices in their lives, of how how you're going to proceed, what 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 corners you're going to cut, and you give the character choices to test them. I mean, a lot of the time, a lot of what we talk about in the writers' room is, what's he thinking now? What does he want? What's where is he really? And the way you ex- once you've got the answer to that, the way you express it is through the character's choices. And so, uh, to me, that's that's. Fundamental, at least to the approach that we're trying to do—we're trying to track where this character is. If we knew, if the audience knew fundamentally where he was at every moment, we wouldn't need to do as much, and maybe the show wouldn't need to exist. So, so much of what, so much of what it is—I think you—you you're, put your finger on on one thing that that's really important—is uh, giving these characters. Sometimes two bad options, and you figure out which is which one's going to be worse. Or then sometimes the the most beautiful thing, and I can't think of an example off the top of my head, is when the character creates a third option that you hadn't thought of. And that's that's uh, you know an example that occurs to me is when when uh, Jimmy stays in the desert to talk Tuco out of breaking breaking legs or out of killing out of killing the skateboarders. Uh, I think you just learn a lot about him and especially at that point in the season i'll speak for myself i was so concerned that people would just look at jimmy and see saul and i wanted to i, I think it was so important for all of us to find a way to express that this guy's not saul goodman yet and he's not so that's that's an example of a choice
2: oh i was just gonna say and along the moral lines it's like it's an it's an ongoing debate that we have almost every day is some version of is character? Are, are we revealing Saul Goodman, or is he becoming Saul Goodman through those choices that Peter was talking about? Is this is, is character destiny? Is, is it is it is he is it there fully formed, and we're just waiting to see it come out? Or is this journey that we he's on? Is it is, was there a chance for him to not be Saul Goodman? Which is, which and we, we don't know. Chuck's, so. Chuck's point
4: is that he's predestined. Yeah. It's it, you are who you are when you're born, and and I I don't I don't believe that. I, I don't want to believe that. But uh, it's a powerful argument, especially
6: when the character' making it, is correct. Yeah, but Chuck's point is much more simple. I made Mom proud. you made Mom laugh. <laughs> wow, you're going now. <laughs> you're going now. Um, where are you guys
0: now? Have you started uh, planning for season two? What's going on? and And what did you ha- what did you kind of walk away from? Season one, at the end of the writers' room, with you must have had all kinds of stories you didn't get to tell in season one.
3: I mean, we have a couple boards with sort of fun mm-hmm. stories that that we always, especially when we're we hitting a wall, we're like, uh, oh, what do we have on the board? <laughs> um, yeah, uh, we're we're working on season two currently. I think that's I can say, <laughs> um, but it's not. I mean, it's not like we necessarily walked out of season one with absolute clear vision, we had ideas, but that stuff kind of changes sure. on a daily basis, just depending on the conversation and, and kind of rethinking about uh, about episodes and the characters. Yeah we, I,
4: I, I'll speak for myself. I think when we ended season one, I had one idea about where he was going and what what was going on in his head when he drives away, humming a smoke on the water and smiling. But then after, after working for, uh, for a few weeks uh, More than a few weeks, sorry to say uh, My ideas have changed a lot And I, I think we all have we've, we've, he's evolved. We're, We keep This character keeps surprising us Because when we start breaking down what he does Moment to moment uh, it, he, he often makes choices that we're not expecting And hopefully that's They make sense to us though So hopefully it'll make sense to the audience also When, when you guys see it What is it? Quarter one next year, something like that. Anyway,
3: there you go. All
0: right. Uh, We will end as we always do by asking you, starting with Michael and working down here. What are you watching on television these days? What's getting you excited or inspired? What are you talking about? uh, uh, We just ran out of
6: Scott and Bailey's. This uh, terrific uh, British cop show, Happy Valley. Does anyone watch Happy Valley? Oh man, it's great. We really loved um, the Fall, the the, the show that Jillian uh, Anderson was in. Um, Last Tango in Halifax is awfully good. I don't know. We like the Bosch show. They all shot in L.A. Really nice. Yeah. All good. So interest. all the stuff is over now. We have nothing to watch. But we're just uh, yeah. We, you know, we like the Jinx. And uh, yeah. What did I do? I watched them all. I do have one little quick story, if I may. Yep. It's, a, it's a very old story. It may be apocryphal, but it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's not about any of, the, any of this. And um, <laughs> no, but it is a beautiful story about, about show business, about writing, about writing for, and it may be the first story about interactive media. Jimmy Durante, great character comic, was, uh, was writing his radio show with his writers. And one of them suggested a gag that was a little bit blue. It's just a little bit sexy But they would have gotten away with it And everyone loved the joke And they're laughing, they're laughing Jimmy's kind of quiet And he says, no No, I'm not going to do that joke I don't think my audience would like that joke So the other, they're saying, well, it's not that bad Jimmy, we can get it by No, that's not the point That's not the point Let me tell you something I was coming from Buffalo down to New York And we got snowed in So I was stuck on the tracks This is my Jimmy Durante impression, everybody <laughs> I was stuck on the tracks for about a half an hour Nothing to do. I'm looking out the window, and by the side of the tracks, there's this little shack, this little nothing, little dump. And I see through the window, I see a guy, and there's not a damn thing in there. You know, there's a calendar on the wall, there's a table, a chair, not another stick of furniture, bed, but not another stick of furniture except this little table. It's got a radio on it, and this guy is just sitting there listening to the radio. And I thought to myself, that's my, that's my, that's my audience. That's the man I don't want to offend, and I think that man would be offended by that joke. And all the writers, oh, my God, Jimmy, that's, wow. Uh, okay, no, you're right, you're right. When you're right, you're right. Okay, so they're moving on. Ten minutes later, Durante suggests the filthiest <laughs> joke. It's just like, there was no two ways. It's, it's a single entendre, not a chance it would get on. And everybody said, Jimmy, Jimmy, what about the guy in the shack beside the railroad tracks? And Durante says, fuck him. That's interactive media, ladies, you know. <laughs> if
0: I had any guts, I'd end this now. <laughs> but I feel like do I it. asked you guys a
2: question, I have to follow through. <laughs> Please do, because I have to go next, otherwise. Yes. Uh, Give me one quick thing. Um, let's see, what am I watching? Um, John Oliver, last week tonight, obviously. Yeah, correct answer. Was, was fantastic. Correct. Um, I'm watching Fortitude. On, That's on, really good right there's a lot of really good shows on pivot strange left please like me is a fantastic show if, if you haven't seen it it's just absolutely fantastic
3: I can't wait for season three All right Jenny you guys are so fancy um, <laughs> I'm watching Game of Thrones um, obviously uh, Broad church season two very good um, and I'm very excited for the return of Orphan black very soon
5: Good answers. Huh. The same Game of Thrones. Where Michael Slovis, our DP from Breaking Bad, directed the first episode of the new season. And it was first ama- two episodes, right? The first two episodes. The first one was amazing. Uh, and even though I shat all over uh, network television, I do enjoy The Good <laughs> Wife. It's a great <laughs> show. Uh,
0: Peter, what are you watching? <sighs> we well, had a lot of time to think about this so answer. Much, there's so, this. so much television.
5: I got to watch all the everything that that you just named. that is what we call a gold nugget that's in the room <laughs> that but is, it's that is something very short and obvious that's right
4: there is but, a lot of television but, but stated state gold nugget everyone stated with a profound affect
3: exactly.
4: I like wood yes. um <laughs> it's one of my favorite gold nuggets I could go on all night.
5: Oh, today in the room, he said a great one. It's not a actual gold nugget, Uh-oh.
4: but you, you said uh, that wasn't a gold cool uh, nugget,
5: though. You said uh, you don't kick a man in the balls twice because the second time it doesn't hurt as I much.
0: <laughs> See, that's I, feel, I think that's. Please cool, give cool. a round that's of cool applause. Cool, cool. Peter Gould, Tom Schnauz, Jenny Hutchinson, Gordon Smith, and Michael McKeon. Everyone, guys, we can't wait for Better Call Saul. Thank you so much for the first season. Thanks for more.
6: Now leaving Nerdist.com.